Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. All right, we're here, we're here, we're here, we're back. Bulldog, don't you, can't, couldn't you play extra music? I'm talking to Dave McCormick here. Uh, anyway, we're back. Great good morning. It's 11.08 a.m. here in Northeast Pennsylvania this beautiful Thursday, August 31st, 2023. This is the Bob Cordaro Show. I am he. It is a big day. And you know that every day is to fight for America, defend our values, and honor the brave who have made us and kept us free. People like Bill Polonis of German, Jim Paulshock of Sugarloaf, David Edwards of Moscow, William Evans of Plains Township, Frank Tierney of Hughestown, and Jerome Pop Brinzo of Edwardsville, veterans that we lost who passed away late July, early August. We pay tribute to them all day today. We've been talking about them and their families. Godspeed to them and their families. Uh, but now, I've got to gavel us back. Otherwise, Johnny yells at me. The Club for Common Sense is gaveled back into order. Otherwise known as the Bob Cadaro Show. And we will provide a sanctuary of sanity for all of you. In a mad, 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 mad world, I, I, I always try to get as many mads as the old movie had, but where the left and our leadership class has turned things upside down. We talk about it all the time. And I want to thank the Dunmore Lumber Company, our hourly sponsor, 622 South Blakely Street, Dunmore. Beat the big box blues at Dunmore Lumber. And uh, Road Scholar Transport. Road Scholar Transport is one of our great regional trucking companies, and uh, they're coming on as an hourly sponsor officially tomorrow. But I said, hey, it's my show. I can mention them now. Uh, we're joined by Dave McCormick. And you, a lot of you would remember Dave McCormick. He was on this show, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight times. Or as Dominic Tallarico would say, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times. And we talked to him. And I'm going to tell you, before I bring him on, uh, he's just real and incredibly likable. He lost by a hair to Dr. Oz, who I also like. But unfortunately, Dr. Oz has vanished on us, and thank God Dave McCormick has not. Uh, Dave McCormick was raised in Bloomsburg. He grew up delivering papers, trimming Christmas trees, uh, a, a great normal... Uh, 
raising for Dave McCormick, nominated by the Pennsylvania senator to go to West Point. He served as captain of the wrestling team at West Point. I think a lot of you can understand the level of achievement to get into the United States Military Academy at West Point. But that was just the start of it. He went on to graduate from Ranger School, served in the first Gulf War in combat, earning a Bronze Star. We talk about them all the time in the context of our veterans. And that means valor in combat. He returned to Pittsburgh as a businessman, creating hundreds of Western Pennsylvania jobs. He was the head of and, and the CEO of the largest hedge fund in the world. In the world. And they don't, he doesn't highlight that enough for my, <laughs> for my sense. Uh, but he then, he did that. He comes back to Pittsburgh. He, he, he takes over a company creating jobs. He then serves at various levels of the government, but but indeed, eventually, as is uh, his talent warranted, the highest level of government after September 11, 2001, and during the financial crisis. Proud father, and I did not know this, six girls. His wife, Dina, she's also incredibly accomplished. How she got where she got having six children is also beyond me. So we're talking about a talented couple here. He ran for Senate and lost in a nail-biter of a primary. And since then, Dave, he's got the taste for politics. He's got the belief he can do good. And he has not stopped working to advance common sense conservative values in Pennsylvania. He's created a PAC, Pennsylvania Rising. He's been raising money and helping support Republican candidates up and down the ticket at all levels. Uh, and those that will be on the ballot this uh, November. And I've talked to our judicial candidates. You know how great they are, the Republican judicial candidates. And Dave is a part of that. And he's in town and he's in studio. Dave McCormick, welcome. Hey, good to be here, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. That was a good intro, man. Thank how, much, you. how much time do you have? Oh, I got lots of time for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, I've got all the time yeah. you want here. Uh, well, it, it is great to see you. We didn't meet in person. We were on Zoom and all that kind of thing. But uh, good to see you in person. I, I'll tell you, Dave McCormick, one of the things that impressed me most about you you didn't dodge any questions when I asked them. And I wasn't looking to trip you up or anything, but you gave complete answers. You know what you believe. You know what you stand for. And it's common sense. So you are, you are elected into the Club for Common Sense as of today. <laughs> Good to hear. Well, who would have thought you could, you could stand out in politics by just talking common sense? It is, it is <laughs> but that's, that's the world we live in, right? <laughs> well, all right. So we talked... About a number of things over the course of our interviews. One of the things that you know well is international business and how that relates geopolitically to the rise of the, the Communist Chinese uh, Party and the country of China. T tell us a little bit about what you've been preaching, what you've been talking about, what you've been advocating in terms of our relationship with the Chinese. Yeah, well, listen, the, uh, this is one of those things which I think you're starting to see um, everybody across the Republican Party agreeing, and even some of the Democrats agreeing, that China poses a true existential risk. It's a threat 
to our economy, uh, to our national security, to our way of life. And it all goes back to 2001 because that was the time that uh, the, the Congress agreed to bring China into the World Trade Organization. And we, there was a bet that everybody made. The bet was that if we opened up our markets to China, China would open up their markets to America. America. The bet was they wouldn't steal our technology. The bet was that that would make them a a good player, a good good steward in the international system. And that bet went totally wrong. China didn't open up its markets. It was a one-sided deal. I think that's one of the things President And that's where you find out leaders matter. Totally. And Xi Jinping and his ilk take over, and and it's a totally different... It made it much worse. Our interests diverged immediately when uh, Xi Jinping came into office because his goal, and he says in his speeches, we shouldn't be surprised, is to make China a techno-authoritarian leader in the world that displaces America as a superpower. And I just wrote this book about this very point that we need to do two things to confront China. One, we need to go to the gym at home. We need to build muscle at home. We need to build military capability at home. We need to fix our economy. The Biden administration has taken us completely in the wrong direction with our economic policies. We can talk about that. But we also need to confront China abroad. And the one way to do that is to reduce our dependency. It's madness, for example, that uh, most of the semiconductors in the world, 95% of the semiconductors we need are manufactured 90 miles from mainland China in Taiwan. It's madness that our supply chains for pharmaceuticals are in China. We need to bring those key supply chains home. Uh, We need to stop investing in companies in China that are against our interests, that support the PLA, the Chinese Communist Party. And we need to hold China accountable for things like COVID. I mean, we still don't aren't to the bottom of what happened in Wuhan that created COVID. And the Chinese have not taken responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. We need to hold China to a high standard of accountability, build our muscle at home, and, uh, and reduce our dependency. Well, this rolls right into the economy. And the manner in which is being handled by the Biden administration and the Democrat Party, uh, they're doing everything wrong. Right. Everything. <laughs> yeah. And we're feeling it. And uh, Pennsylvanians are feeling it. And, and um, Americans are feeling it. And you know who's feeling it the worst? Working families and elders that are on a fixed income. But but the, the numbers don't lie. 58% increase in gas prices since Joe Biden came into office. We have the highest inflation in 40 years. Uh, prices, consumer prices are 16% higher than when Joe Biden came into office. And real wages for working families are 5% lower. So from an economic perspective, all the Democrats are saying, why is Biden's so unpopular? Uh, why do people think the country's headed in the wrong direction? This, this, this shouldn't be a surprise. People feel worse off today than they did when Joe Biden uh, came into office. And, and part of this is the unbelievable spending. So listen, if you look and you're, and you're honest, Republicans and Democrats alike over the last 20 years have not been disciplined with their spending. But what's happened under Joe Biden is like a hockey stick. The spending's gone through the roof, and that's the direct driver yeah. of the inflation problem. So this isn't that complicated. If we had strong pro-growth policies, deregulation, open up our oil and gas industry, reduced our spending, let uh, small businesses prosper, uh, our American economy is going to double. But uh, unfortunately, Biden's doing exactly the opposite. Well, I, I love when they say, well, inflation is down. I say, well, inflation can't be down. <laughs> 
down. Inflation by is right. up. Period. Right. I don't care if it's moderated. Right. It's not down, and it's on top of the inflation he already caused with exactly. his green energy nonsense, with his wild spending. How, how well, do you well, the green well, energy? You're, you're out with everybody. I'm, you're I'm out in the pub. You're yeah. around the state. How are these apologists reacting to your common sense message on the economy? You know, listen, the, the numbers don't lie here. So um, these are Americans and Pennsylvanians. This isn't Republicans or Democrats. 80% think the country's heading in the wrong direction. 61% are living paycheck to paycheck. And here's the one that just, uh, here's the one, honestly, why I ran for office. Two-thirds of Americans think the uh, their kids are going to be less well-off than they are. The American dream that I've lived, you've lived. Like it's we, heartbreaking. We, we're, we're lucky, right? We grew up in a country where you worked hard and uh, and uh, played by the rules. You had a good shot of being better off than your, than your mom yeah. and dad. That certainly happened with me, and that's slipping away. So I think people are feeling this, and that's why I think uh, the support for President Biden in the polls is so far down and so many Democrats are worried because they want to tell a story of success, but the reality is Americans aren't feeling it. We're talking with Dave McCormick. Uh, you remember him as a Republican Senate candidate uh, against Dr. Oz. He lost in a, in a close one, uh, but he stayed and he's here and he's not going anywhere. At least not until after this break. Bob Kadar with you. <laughs> W-I-L-K. We'll be right back. In 2016, everybody's got to burnish their foreign policy cred, and uh, Donald Trump did the same. He met with Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto in Mexico City, and uh, he actually had a pretty good relationship with Mexico. They always bring that, you know opening uh, statement about who's coming here through Mexico and from Mexico against him, but... Whatever, you know, it's, it's that, that's, the, that's where the media runs with things. We're here with Dave McCormick, and uh, Dave McCormick has a pack, Pennsylvania Rising. And, you know, one of the things, your, your basic decency and goodness just comes across when you're with you in person or even talking to you on the phone. And... One of your opponents, Sean Parnell, brought this up to me. He, he was sick. Something happened to him. And he had a serious illness. And I want all you guys to know about it. He said this on the air to us. And you said, you don't look good. Now, here's the guy you're running against. And you said, I've got to take you home. You know, somebody's got to take it. And you gave him one of your campaign aides to take him home. And he never forgot that. And, it, and I never forgot him relating that story because it was beyond impressive. Uh, so Dave McCormick, we're just happy to have you as someone who espouses common sense after all your life experience, which by the way, let's step back. One of your... Uh, and I remember this well because we lost a big game to a school called GAR in the playoffs in overtime. The first Pennsylvania, Northeast Pennsylvania overtime game. 
And you lost to Scranton Prep back in yeah. high school, and it's still nineteen eighty-two. Such a bad taste in my mouth. Such a bad taste. Yeah, but but that story about Sean uh, reinforces something, which uh, you know the the he's a veteran. Uh, served multiple tours in Afghanistan, um, served his country, was wounded, uh, and, uh, you know, has written about it extensively. Just a, a great, uh, a great American and, uh, and was, uh, has become a, a good friend. And one of the things I love about your show, Bob, that I remember is the fact that you highlight veterans. And Every you're day. always talking about their sacrifice. And I had a quick story I wanted to tell you, which I just heard, but it, it really left an impression on me. And you'll, you'll remember this name. Mike Mansfield. Yeah. Mike Mansfield was the longest serving speaker, uh, longest serving majority leader uh, in the Senate. Democrat. A Democrat until uh, Mitch McConnell just, sur- just surpassed it. And uh, he was born in 1902. And at the age of 14, he volunteered for World War I. So he uh, was in the Navy at 14. They, he lied about his age and they threw him back out. And, uh, and then he became 18. He volunteered again. He joined the Marine Corps. And uh, and served honorably, and then came came out and had a career where he eventually became the majority leader. He worked with Democrats and Republicans alike. He was, you know, supported Lyndon Johnson. He supported Richard Nixon, and had this incredible service. And then he went and became the ambassador for eleven years, Bob, in Japan. And this guy died at the age of ninety nine, and uh, he was buried in Arlington. And if you go look it up right now, you'll see a, a tiny little tombstone for Mike Joseph Mansfield. All that career, one of the most Mm -hmm. famous people in America, and all it says is, born 1902, died 2001, PFC, United States Marine Corps. That's it. Wow. That's all it says. And uh, that's the kind of service and kind of leadership we need. And uh, and it's not about the person. It's about it's about the service. And we don't have enough of that. Uh, that that that's amazing. And I you know I followed Mike Mansfield's career as a young kid, and I'm sure you did too to yeah. the extent you followed politics. He was a he was a constant. But a very stable presence, right? When the, before the Democrat Party went when, off the edge, when, that's exactly right. He, when the Democratic Party was had a, had had many moderates who were in positions of leadership, yeah. that's not the case anymore. Boy, oh boy, oh boy! Now, uh, when we talked about Donald Trump and others burnishing their foreign policy experience, your international business experience, and Hunter Biden has forever tarred what international business is, but true international business experience, you had the opportunity to travel the globe and to to meet different people, to see how different economies work, to see how America interrelated with these companies. What's the takeaway, maybe the biggest couple of takeaways uh, from that incredible experience? Well, you know, the the American economy, historically by any measure, has uh, has always outperformed all the other economies in the world. And you see that when you see go abroad and you see um, socialist policies in places like France or you see corruption in other countries around the world, or you see state controls that ultimately suppress the entrepreneurism of, of American business. So, so at its finest, American capitalism and giving American businesses, American workers, the opportunity to compete and perform with a level playing field, America is going to win that game every single time because our system is based on merit. Our system's based on, on true capitalism. The problem is 
when we start to have the government play too big a role, which is what's happening now, overregulate, which is what's happening in our fracking industry, or spend too much money, like's happening uh, today at the, or print too much money is happening with the Federal Call Reserve. Call winners and losers. Call winners and losers. Pick winners and losers. So our economy at its finest is the most competitive in the world. We never have to worry about China if we're operating at our at our best. But the problem is that we've lost some of the clarity around what's what's made America great. And I think we haven't put enough emphasis on unlocking the American worker. And that's one of the things that I I give President Trump credit for, which is the trade deals we did in many cases were unfair to American workers. And you had um, you had as a consequence of that, we lost lots of jobs where if there was a level playing field, the American worker, American industry is going to outperform. And so getting that balance right is really key. And um, and I think that's that's what I wrote the book about. And that's what we need in, in Washington is deregulating, unlocking the, the potential in our economy. We got to spend less, but we got to grow more. And it's like anybody who's run a business. If you have a growing business, it's a lot easier to, to have a, a higher quality of living for everybody. Amen. Dave McCormick is our guest. We're going to take a break, come back with the weather, and continue with him. And the other aspect of your foreign policy experience is your time in the military, your time in combat. And I want to focus in on that when we come back. Dave McCormick. We had the ladies on this morning telling us about it. And we want to remind you, the Dunmore Lumber Company. 622 South Blakely Street, Dunmore. They, uh, that's the place to beat the big box blues. That is the place, I'm telling you. Uh, they could compete on products, uh, service, price. Where they kill the big box is inconvenience. Dunmore Lumber Company, uh, try them out. And then uh, t- starting tomorrow, but we're going to start today, we have uh, uh, Road Scholar Transport. One of the greatest trunking companies in the country, and uh, they hail from the great Northeast and Dunmore, and we love them, and we'll be talking about them uh, going forward. And and by the way, another great weekend to go to the Marjon. Do not forget the Marjon Golf Course, and it's uh, my my buddy Mike Koitek's playing up there tomorrow night, Saturday night, rather. You're going to love it, the Marjon. It's just fabulous. So we're talking with Dave McCormick, and uh, he was so happy he dropped by. Dave, so we talked about some other realms of your experience, and one of the most, I, I can't even imagine, but one of the most formative had to be West Point and then military, paratrooper, and then combat. Tell us about that. Take us from West Point uh, through that continuum to when you were actually in combat. Yeah, well, that that was one of the most formidable experiences. You know, I had uh, grown up like most kids in Pennsylvania, wanted to be a, a, a running back for Penn State, and uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, <laughs> I couldn't quite make the cut. And West Point uh, recruited me to wrestle and play football, and I had no military in my experience at all uh, in my family at all. Uh, World War One, an, an uncle, but nobody had served. And uh, my dad said, "You just got to apply." Uh, you don't have to go. You got to apply. So I applied and got in, and uh, to my surprise, which is, I yeah. mean, not, e- they, not they, easy. They, they detected your talent. It's well. it's, it's almost impossible. <laughs> it's it's one of the hardest we, at we, that time. We were all a little surprised. We're contemporaries <laughs> at that time. One of the most difficult schools in the world to yeah. get into. Yeah, we were all a little surprised. And, and uh, <laughs> my my hometown was like you know people hadn't gone for thirty years, 
And so it just took on a life of its own, and I went. And, uh, you know, they say about West Point, you, you love it most looking in the rearview mirror, and that's sure. the way I feel about sure. it. It was not easy, but uh, I was proud to be there. And uh, it just... It, How did it... Just a question. Yeah. I've, I go up there just to sort of rediscover America yeah. every so often. How did you feel on your side? Because I know how I felt yeah. as an observer when you start coming out on the parade grounds on a Saturday morning. How did you feel Amazing. as a cadet? Yeah, you look up at those majestic mountains and you look down the Hudson River and it's and it's you know everything's stone and it's all this history. And you feel, I think it's one of the best places in the country, you feel the exceptionalism of America. This is where American values of duty on our country uh, really emanate from. And so that's what I learned most at West Point was duty on our country. Those are the, the values that I want to live by. And, uh, and so I went into the Army, and uh, I, I picked the 82nd Airborne. I was a combat engineer. And uh, what I discovered is a combat engineer in, in the 82nd is just like an infantryman, except you have to carry more stuff. And uh, <laughs> when you jump out of the airplane, you hit harder because you got more, you got more gear hanging off of you. And, uh, you know, Bob, the thing about it is you show up, and I look at what's happening today, the polarization, the nastiness. You show up at the 82nd Airborne Division. It's an all-male unit. It's a combat unit. You have a, a, a black kid from Newark. You got a, a, a Southern Baptist from rural Alabama. You got a college dropout from Boston. You got a platoon sergeant from Puerto Rico who's 35. He seems like he's ancient at yeah, the time. Yeah. And you just come together. You don't talk about... I never remember talking about politics or religion. You were just part of a team uh, in, in support of America and taking care of one another. And that made all the difference when we went into Iraq a year later. My unit was the, the first unit to deploy two days after uh, Saddam Hussein invaded. How did you get the call? Like, okay. No, this is, is crazy. It, yeah, is it like they show on the movies? Like, okay, oh, hey, guys, we got to go. Well, you know, it's kinda. even worse in this case because I was, uh, we had jumped, we had parachuted into Arkansas for a training Unit uh, training there, uh, which was called the Joint Readiness Training Center. You, it was a simulation of jungle warfare. In the middle of the night, I got a, a call on the the radio. Said, "Take your unit to this grid coordinate." And airplanes were just coming in, and we loaded up all of our gear onto the airplanes. We flew back to Fort Bragg. We uh, cleaned our equipment, loaded our weapons. How uh, old are you at this time? 23. Okay. And we deployed to, uh, we, we fly to Germany to Ramstein Air Force Base and then directly to Saudi Arabia. And we were literally the first unit there. And, you know, we're a bunch of paratroopers. What well, month is this? This is in August. And you're used to being... You, I mean, you know, you joined paratroopers to oh, be on the leading it's edge. It's the rapid deployment force. It yeah. goes first. And so the mission is you have to be able to deploy anywhere in the world in 24 hours. And so we get there, and, uh, you know, it's going to take months for the heavy equipment to come in. And so we were on the Iraq border in Saudi Arabia because we were trying to protect the oil fields. And uh, the idea was if Saddam Hussein comes across into Saudi Arabia, there's no way you're going to be able to stop him. But he will then have declared war on the United States. And, and so uh, that was meant to be. The, so, so you guys are the tripwire. We're the tripwire, yeah. And we just did this. Uh, we have a great historian. And we, we went through the entire uh, Iraq conflict, the first one. And we talked about about 20,000 troops in country in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, at that time, we thought they were 10 feet tall, the, yeah. the Iraqi uh, right. forces. So you're there. What was what were the thoughts that you had? And you're leading men now. You're not just one of them. You're leading yeah. men. Well, you feel you know a sense of responsibility. That's the biggest thing because you those those young men are in your charge, and you know you need to be competent and lead well. And uh, we we thought, if you remember at the time, 
the predictions were 50,000 casualties. Yeah. And so my unit eventually was the, was, uh, across the line on D-Day, uh, with, um, on the, on the far, remember there was that end around that we went towards the, the Ukraine. Schwarzkopf so I was move. part of that end around. And, uh, and I remember. What with, was that like? I mean, you're moving at what would be lightning speed in terms of uh, old school military yeah. movements. Well, the, I'd say two things. I remember a day or two before everybody writing the letter yeah. that you would give to your pal to send home in case, you know, he didn't make it. Yeah. Because at the time we thought the casualties were going to be that that significant. And then um, and then when the, the invasion came, there was, had been a month of bombing. So it was literally like Planet of the Apes. If you're driving along and you see these carcasses of these tanks and buildings, and the air war had really uh, done it, done a huge, uh, huge damage. And as you proceeded, there were two kinds of, uh, three kinds of uh, Iraqi forces. There were those who were dead, there were those who were surrendering, and there were those who were slipping back into the population and became part of the resistance. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it was, it was really a, a memorable experience. Unfortunately. Because of the great, you know, unbelievable awe of the American military, there were very few casualties relative to what was expected. Quite amazing. How much longer did you serve after uh, that deployment? I served a total of uh, four years at West Point and five years uh, in the wow. in the eighty second. So I left as a captain and uh, went uh, went on to another phase. And my dad, you'll appreciate this growing up, growing up here. My dad, I said, I called him and surprised him. I said, Dad, I, I love the Army. I almost stayed, but I think I'm going to go do something different. And he said, you're kidding me. And I said, no, I'm really thinking. He goes, 15 more years. 15 more years and you'd have a pension. I said, Dad, come on, I'm 27. He goes, no, 15 more years. Just hang in there. You'll see the wisdom of this someday. So it's just been very recently. Like in the last 10 years, my dad said, maybe you made the right decision. <laughs> I was going to say, he said it without you saying so. Maybe. Oh, I love it. Dave McCormick, our guest. Dave, thank you so much. I know you've got to get down to an event, uh, but I appreciate you stopping by. Matt is here with you, and I'm thankful it's Matt instead of Elizabeth, because she's, I'm afraid of her. <laughs> so we all are. We all are. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Dave Thanks McCormick, for having me. our guest, we'll have him anytime he wants, and I've got to have him on the TV show, because there's so much more for Dave McCormick to tell us. Uh, his experiences and how he's handled them. Uh, a big lesson for so many of us, and uh, he's a guy to be admired. Bob Cadaro with the Eponymous Show. We'll take this break. We shall return. WILK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 